0: Greetings and welcome to the program. In this episode, we will continue our series through the book of Revelation. Looking this week in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 through 22, this is the final letter to the seven churches, of course, the last church being the famous Laodicea. And so that will be our topic of discussion in this episode. I'll go ahead and just read the passage, and then I have three things to say on this one here. And of course, this one contains a couple of very famous points that uh, may have a slightly different understanding than we may have thought them to be. All right, it starts like this. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write... The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, you are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, so there are three things here in this letter to Laodicea that I would like to bring out. Three of the most, two very famous things here. The first is the whole idea that Jesus tells the Laodicean church, I know your works, you are neither hot nor cold, but they're lukewarm. And so Jesus says, I wish you were either hot or cold, and so I'm gonna spit you out since you're lukewarm. Now we pretty much always read that and think that the hot or the cold either indicates hot like you are on fire, zealous for God and passionate, whereas cold we represent just total you know dead dryness uh, in 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 terms of your passion for Christ, whereas lukewarm you know you're kind of in the middle, you know that sort of thing, but that is not quite exactly what is being intended here. you see, Laodicea was as I mentioned many times going throughout this, these are historical churches and historical locations in real times and places. And so we have to understand that. Laodicea was a city situated between two other important cities, uh, Colossae and Hierapolis. And Colossae, um, was wedged into a narrow valley in the shadow of towering mountains, and it was watered by icy streams which tumbled down from the mountains. And so that's Colossae. It had these uh, icy streams coming down from the mountains. And in contrast, Hierapolis was famous for its hot mineral springs, which flowed out of the city and across a high plain, until it cascaded down a cliff which faced Laodicea. So you have these two different water sources on either side of Laodicea, one an icy cold water source, uh, the other a hot mineral spring. And so um, by the time the water reached the valley floor uh, at Laodicea, it was lukewarm. Uh, not uh, not not hot nor cold. It was lukewarm, uh, even nauseating, uh, some would say. And so at Coloss um, at, at Colossae you had the ice cold water where you could have that benefit of having refreshing, clear, cold, invigorating drinking water. And on the other hand, you could go to Hierapolis and you could have the hot spring mineral laden water and bathe in it for its healing, you know, these healing waters that you could bathe in. So you had two different water sources that had two greatly beneficial uh, purposes, naturally. But at Laodicea, the waters were neither hot for bathing in, healing health, or uh, they were neither cold for refreshing drinking water. So that's the situation in which we find Laodicea and so essentially playing off of that then the the basic accusation uh against Laodicea is that it's um it's ineffectual. It's good for nothing. It has no benefit that it's giving to it's its city or its people. Okay, the church at Laodicea, this is the accusation that it's neither hot nor cold. In other words, it is neither refreshing for for weary travelers who need a drink. It's it's not refreshing to its society, and it's not, you know, uh, providing healing for the downtrodden. So it's neither refreshing or a place of healing. It is essentially a church that is not effective or has a good purpose uh, that it is is giving to its community or its people. So you see, it's not really about the state of your passion, because of course, Jesus, why would he wish anybody to be cold in in terms of passion? That's not the idea. The idea is purpose and effectiveness. Cold water is very good. It's very effective, refreshing. Warm mineral water is fantastic. It has great health purposes, but the lukewarm water is ineffective for either of those two purposes. It's ineffective. And that's the accusation. That's the accusation here against Laodicea, is that they are ineffective. And um, and so he says, you know, because you were ineffective, either hot nor cold, and they're having this purpose or that purpose, then, you know, I will spit you out. So that's the idea. Because you're ineffective, I will spit you out. And then it goes on and he talks about how they uh, are are proud in their riches and their prosperity, and yet spiritually uh, they are quite poor. And he's counseling them to come and, and, and buy from me the riches, you know, so to speak, I provide uh, Jesus, of course, saying this, that, you know, his his white robes, you know, his gold refined by fire so that you may be truly rich, spiritually speaking. There's also uh, interesting, of course, if you're listening to this and you're uh, and you go to my church, you'll know I just preached on the healing of the blind man in John chapter nine and here Jesus says something very similar in verse 18. He's telling them, you know, you can come to me and buy from me so that you can have clothes to cover your nakedness and not be ashamed, and you can come and you can get salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So he's accusing them of being blind in some way, and he's saying, you know, you can get some salt from me. I will give you salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. It's very, very similar to what Jesus did. In John chapter 9, spitting in the dirt, rubbing rubbing the mud, uh, anointing the man's eyes with the mud, having him go wash in the healing pools, and he's now able to see the man born blind. Jesus uh, gave him sight. And So Jesus gives that spiritual offer to this church in Laodicea who has become no good for nothing, essentially. And Jesus is saying, while he has threatened to spit them out, um, he's he's given that threaten, he, or he's given that that threat to spit them out, to punish them. He's warning them. He tells them in verse 19, but you know, essentially, yet I have not given up on you, because he says, "Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent." So he's 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 not given up. There's still his people here in the church in Laodicea. Despite their lack and uh, their their failures, Jesus loves them. And because he loves them, he reproves and disciplines them and calls them to repentance and renewed zeal. Then we get to verse 20, which is another one of those very, very famous passages. And uh, it's the one where, I'll just read verse 20 again here. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Uh, That's verse 20 there. Now, of course, we've heard, you know, uh, Arminians preach this as an evangelistic message. We'll talk about how Jesus, you know, he's, he's knocking on every person's heart. All we have to do is open the door and let Jesus in, that type of thing. And of course... We reject that view. Jesus is not some weak beggar knocking on the door, politely asking to come in. You know, when he saves people, you know, he is sovereign God who who accomplishes his will. He saves who he wills, who he died for, and others he judges to hell. And this is not, uh, exegetically, this is not appropriate to be used as an, evangel- as an evangelistic to see this as an evangelistic picture. This is what Jesus is doing. And uh, he's knocking on every, every person's heart and we just open the door. Because it should be obvious, what is the context of this verse? It's written to a church. It's written to a church, not to the world, not to a group of Gentiles that are lost. It's written to a church. What is a church? It is. It's Christians, people who are already Christians, already saved. And so this invitation, if you will, from Jesus is not an evangelistic invitation to the lost world. It is some sort of invitation of some kind to his people, to his own church, who he's just we've just read about them. They've been they're lukewarm. They are needing to repent in a lot of ways. And Jesus is, is calling them to repent because he loves them, he's disciplining them. Behold, I'm at the door. I'm knocking, Jesus says. If you hear my voice, you open the door. I will come in, eat with you and you with me. Jesus is talking to his church, his people. So what is he saying? What's the invitation here, if you will? What's the invitation? Jesus is offering here a renewed renewed fellowship, renewed communion. What are the doors... He's standing at and knocking at. He's he's This is the church. This is the church. There's this church here who's lukewarm. They've they've lost their effectiveness. They think they're rich, but really they're poor and blind. They need to know their need for the things that Christ can give to them. And Jesus is saying to this church, I am ready to have fellowship with you. And I'm offering you renewed communion with me if you repent and open the door. It's very interesting. I think we see uh, some indication here. I don't think it's a stretch here to say that there's some uh, maybe inferred or implied belief in the spiritual presence of Jesus Christ in in the Lord's Supper, in communion. Because that's the kind of language Jesus uses. He's talking to a church. He's talking to his people. And he says, if you, let, if, you, if you open the door, you hear my voice from the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. Eat with him. And he. So that's, what are, we, what, what are we eating in church? We eat the Lord's Supper in church. The bread and the wine, the, the body and blood of our Lord, we eat it. We commune with Christ. And that is where, in the eating and drinking, we are communing with Jesus Christ. We are fellowshipping with him. And Jesus is there with us. He's spiritually, truly there with us. And so uh, there's certainly, I think, those overtones in relation to Jesus' fellowship with the church, specifically in the eating of the communion table. Then finally here in verse 21 The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on the throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So again, as we have seen in virtually, I think it, there's some kind of language like this in every letter, if I'm not mistaken here, this, 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 uh, holding out, this charging to conquer, you know, this holding out of a promise to the one who conquers, The reward's going to be given to the one who conquers. And again, what we see here is those who conquer, he will grant, they'll sit on the throne with with Christ. As I also, Jesus says, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So if you conquer, you'll sit with me on mine, just as I did with my father. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And again, the stress here in these letters, with these types of closings, conquer, overcome, is that that's what Christians are to be and do in the world. We're to be overcomers. We are overcomers in Jesus Christ. We are to conquer the world. We're to be effective, not lukewarm, but be provide a benefit to our uh, to the world around us in some way, to be faithful, to overcome whatever tribulation we face, whatever suffering or persecution or hardship we're to conquer. And if we do, we are are rewarded in Christ because He did that. And so we are with Him, and in Him we overcome and conquer. So again, I don't want you to overlook or just take for granted that terminology that's been in every single letter, this expectation that Christians conquer overcome we're not just the attitude of christians is not just to be one of survival or bare, you know retreating and barely getting by and just and just uh that sort of idea of retreatism or ineffectiveness or just barely surviving in some way barely getting by but christians are to be conquerors not just in their personal situations of having faith through everything, although that's important, but we are to conquer the enemy. We're to conquer the world in our lives, in time, in history. That is the charge given to these churches. In all of their weak and fable uh, conditions or states, Jesus still expects them by faith in him to conquer, to overcome. And that is our call today, to conquer the world. That is indeed the last command that God gave, that Jesus gave to his disciples, to conquer the world. That's what, is that not what the Great Commission is? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations. Teaching them all that I commanded you, teaching them to obey, and you baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is that is a commission to conquer the world by making disciples. All right, guys, well, that's all I have for this episode. We'll pick up next time, beginning in chapter 4. I look forward to it. We'll see you then.